Hi, I'm Jennifer Matthewson Spear, and you have joined us today for a Word of Joy podcast. For this you know, in verse 5, we're not going to make it through any part of this chapter. For this you know with certainty that no immoral, impure, or covetous man. Now, he's just repeated the three things he said in verse 3. Immoral, impure, or covetous man, that's a greedy man trying to satisfy, who is an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. That word, idolater, is one who worships. And who are they worshiping? They're not bowing down to worship an idol. They're worshiping self. They want to please self. And guess what? You and I, as Christians, we can go right back to that. And anytime there is idolatry, there is immorality. He says, don't go back there. Don't live that way. He says, they don't have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. The person who lives this way habitually, and we talked about this last week, and somebody asked me that again today. Can, can a person who's really a Christian go back and live this way? Yes, they can. With one exception, if they belong to the Lord Jesus, God will discipline them. He disciplines his children because he lo- he's not zapping them with lightning bolts. But he will create something in their life to get their attention and draw them back to himself. Verse 6. Oh, wait a minute. Verse 5. And you know with certainty. This isn't a maybe. This isn't an iffy thing. This isn't maybe, well, God will relax the rules for me. And I hate to even use the word rules. The, The standard for me. No, it's certainty. It's certainty. And then he says, verse 6, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. That word wrath means the indignation and the anger of God. It is not a God having a vengeful temper tantrum. It is not God hailing lightning bolts at everybody that doesn't walk the straight line. This is God's indignation. God hates sin. Because sin messes everything up. And he hates it. And the wrath of God is poured out toward sin. And the people who have chosen to rebel against God and to live in sin. And he calls them sons of disobedience. Do you know he uses that same phrase in Ephesians chapter 2? He talks about sons of disobedience. Do that, and this is just fascinating to me. It may not be to you. We're called children of God. They're called sons of disobedience. Children of God is that word technon. It means the DNA. You are birthed into this family. But sons means fully grown, fully cooperative. They are sons of disobedience. They are accountable for their rebellion against God. It, it, it's the word, it's the word huyas. And they are, they are grown people. They are accountable. And God hates that sin. And his wrath is poured out on sinners. Let me tell you something else. His wrath is not poured out ever, ever, ever on believers. Do you know that? 
When you go to read the book of Revelation, I hear people, oh, I'm so scared. That, that's so scary. That's so, that book is so scary to me. Guess what? If you're a believer in Christ, you're not going to experience the wrath of God because the wrath of God has already been satisfied. We just read that in 1 John. The wrath of God, the propitiation, the satisfaction for our sin, the price has already been paid. God's wrath towards sin was paid when Christ died on the cross. You see, the cross is not just about how much God loves us. The cross is about how much he hates sin. And the wrath of God is satisfied with the shed blood of Christ. And when we are in Christ, we do not experience his wrath. We may experience his discipline, but we will not experience his wrath. It is reserved for the sons of disobedience. Verse 7, therefore, oh, there we are again, therefore, I don't want to be in this camp. I don't want to be in this group. I don't want to go back to any kind of immorality, impurity, greediness, idolatry. I don't want to go back to that. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Don't do the deeds that they do. And here's the contrast. Verse 8. For you were formerly darkness. It doesn't say you walked in darkness. You were darkness. Past tense. But now... You are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You're not just acting like light. You are light because you are in Christ. And Christ is light. To walk as children of light, there's that word children, technon again. It means the DNA of light is in you. You are birthed into this family, and Christ is in you. You are living as light lives. And to live as light, what does that mean? It's to walk in such a way, to live in such a way before the eyes of God that nothing is hidden. Any of you got those kind of mirrors that, like, magnify something 4,000 times? And you have to use them. You know, the older you get, you got to use them because, like, you got to get something on here. You know, you just... But when you hold that up to you, I mean, nothing is hidden. It's, it's, it's like I just almost cry every time I hold that light up. I flip it to the other side just to, just to settle my stomach. You know, it's like, oh, 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 it's not that bad. It's not that bad. In, in 1 Timothy, Paul talks about T- Timothy's sincere faith. And that word sincere means to hold up to the sun and let the light shine in it and, and see the purity of it. When we walk as light, we are walking before God. And we are walking, living in this world saying, I don't have any hidden agenda. I don't, I don't have any sin that I'm trying to conceal or cover up. If there's sin in my life, I'm going to confess it and get rid of it. But I'm not walking around like living a double life. Or compartmentalizing my sin, trying to look like a believer and act another way when I'm with another group of people. He said, I'm walking as a child of light. And then verse 9 says, for the fruit of light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth. One of the things about light is there's an agricultural aspect to it. Anybody that grows plants knows they have to have light. And having light produces fruit or blooms on that plant. If you want to know more about this producing a fruit, go back and read, study John chapter 15 talks about, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him the same brings forth much fruit. That connection, that DNA connection 
to Christ. And, and Paul is saying that there is fruit from walking in the light, and it is goodness and righteousness and truth. Verse 10, learning, proving what is pleasing to God. It is the byproduct, it is the produce of walking as light. And then he says in verse 10, and, or in verse 11, and do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. He says unfruitful. He doesn't say bad fruit. He says deeds of darkness have no fruit. I thought that was interesting. Not, it's not bad fruit. No fruit because fruit is something beneficial. And there is nothing beneficial about the deeds, the actions of darkness. And he has just delineated some of those actions in all of chapter 5. And he says, don't participate. Now look back at verse 7. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. And then in verse 11, it says, do not participate in them. Is, is Paul being redundant? No. Because when he uses in verse 7 the word, do not partake of them, it can be doing the deed one time. Just, just doing something one time. But when he says, do not participate, it means that you are doing something with or in the company of someone who is lost, who is not spiritually connected to God, who does not have the DNA of God. You are participating with them so that it has become absorbed into you. He says, don't do that. Don't participate. You've heard all your life. You told, told your kids, bad company corrupts good morals. If you put an apple, or, or you just think about the produce you have to throw away every week because you didn't get to it in enough time. Is, am I the only person that does that? I'm going to buy this healthy stuff and then throw it away. <laughs> raspberries are the worst. I love raspberries. But do you know when one little raspberry starts to go bad, if you leave it in that little carton, every raspberry in there is going to be bad by the next day. Because good fruit doesn't make the bad fruit become good. But the bad fruit makes the good fruit get bad. That's what he's saying. Don't participate. You're going to be the loser. Don't participate. Instead, he talks about exposing the darkness. Do not participate with them, but ex expose them. Make things visible. But do you know what he's saying here? He's not saying that he is giving us the job of calling out everybody who's in sin. That's, that's not what we're supposed to do. We are supposed to live in such a way that the light of Christ shines through us that people come under conviction just from being around us. We read that verse last week in John chapter 3. The light has come, but the darkness didn't want the light because they love their deeds of darkness. And when light comes, it exposes deeds of darkness, not because we're shaking our finger and preaching at them and pointing to them. It's because they, they see it in us. If you ever have a child or a friend who is not living not living according to the way the Lord wants them to live. They're Christians, but they're not. They're, they're, you know what the last place I want to be? Around somebody like you that's walking with the Lord. Because why? Because it exposes. It exposes. And he said that's what we're supposed to do. We are to walk as light. We are to walk as light because we are light. 
And then he says something really unusual. And verse 14, I've never understood why it was there until this week. He said, for this reason, it says, and he quotes from Isaiah chapter 60, awake sinner and rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Why is that? I don't understand why that's there. I don't understand how that fits. I mean, there's the word light there, but other than that, I don't really get why it's there. You know who he's talking to? Christians. He's talking to Christians. When you walk into a room and it's dark, do you flip off the darkness or do you flip on the light? You flip on the light. And when you flip on the light, what happens? The darkness goes away. Darkness cannot be in the light. It, the light dispels the darkness. So what he is saying is here, wake up, sleeping church. The problem is not the darkness. The problem is the light. That we're trying to flip off the darkness. I don't mean that colloquially, okay? We're trying to stamp out the darkness, and he's saying, just be the light. I understand in social, in, in this societal thing, in, in elections, and I understand that we have a, a responsibility to, to take a stand on issues, to, to, to permeate society with this, the gospel and with the light of Christ. But I want to tell you something. Most of us will never, and I don't mean this in a bad way, this is an incredibly good thing. Most of us will never influence people outside of a six-mile radius of where we live. Are you being light in the six-mile radius? Are you just all worried about the darkness all over the world and all over the nation and all over Florida, and you just keep trying to stamp out the darkness by, you know... Are you just being light so brightly that you walk into the room in your six-mile radius and people see Christ? Wake up, sleeping church. You are the light. The problem is not the darkness. The problem is the light. Verse 15, third point, therefore. Well, he says therefore a lot, doesn't he? So you remember... These chapters in here are continuous thought. You're to walk in love. Don't go back to walking in the deeds of darkness. Don't participate in them. Walk as light. Shine your light. You're not calling out sin, but just by your very presence, people know. Therefore, be careful how you walk, how you live. Not as unwise men, but as wise be careful means be alert. Be spiritually sensitive so that you can walk precisely and accurately. Why do we have to walk with such precision, with such sensitivity, with our spiritual eyes wide open? Because if we don't, we have underestimated the power of darkness. We have underestimated the pull that sin can have on our lives. And he is saying, live with your spiritual ears open. Be attuned to what the, the warning that the Holy Spirit is giving you. Years and years and years ago, this is such, and sometimes I give you frivolous uh, examples because I want you to understand this Christian life is not the big theatrical dramatic, ah, oh, it is the little tiny decisions that we make every single day. We are to be living with our spiritual ears alert. 
and we're to be walking in wisdom. And that word wisdom means we can apply knowledge. You're, you're getting knowledge in here. You're, you're studying God's word. You're getting knowledge. But there has got to come a point when you apply that knowledge to your life. And when you begin to apply it, you are walking in wisdom. So we're responsible for knowing God's word, but we are also responsible for obeying God's word, applying it. Now, let me give you a little simple illustration. Years ago when Facebook first started, how many years ago was that? I don't know. I got an account 14 years ago. So, I mean, we were all so naive, weren't we, when we first started? It was just so fun. We were just going to reconnect with all our friends and, you know, and put your pictures of your kids. I mean, it was just so much fun back then. And I somehow reconnected with a guy from college that I had briefly dated. Oh, look, who's, who's my friend. We weren't serious or anything. It was just my friend, you know, just, oh, wow. And so we kind of back and forth message, whatever. And then he said something to me. In the course of that, oh, we're reconnected. He just said the slightest little size, the tiny, teeny, tiniest little something, and there was a, a hiccup in my spirit, a catch. You know, do you, have you ever felt that? And I was like, well, what's the problem? I mean, seriously, we were so naive on Facebook back then. I, I, I thought, what's, what's the matter? And I thought about it, and I prayed about it. I said, look, why, why, this is my friend that I haven't seen in, you know, 30-something years, but this is my friend. Why, why is there this uh, in my spirit? I said, because I was so innocent, and I was really so naive in it. And the Lord just said, you don't know what's going on on that end. You don't know what's in his heart. And I had to walk away from that reconnection. I had to un unfriend somebody. That was like breaking up with somebody all over again. <laughs> it grieved me. But you know what? You, you, you play that out. Just use your imagination and play that scenario out. Uh, you can get emotionally attached to somebody who lives a, a long... You can, you can start entertaining yourself with a fantasy about that person. Then the next time you travel through that part of the country, hey, you want to get together for a cup of coffee? I mean, I'm telling you, it's not out of the question. So what do, I, what do we do? You take this word of God and you take it out of the academic and you put it into the practical part of your life. And the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs says, is the fear, the reverence of the Lord. Where we take God seriously. We don't have this low estimation of our salvation. And why do we do that? Making the most of your time because the days are evil. I love it says your time because your time and my time are different times. Make the most of it. The days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That means prove what the will of the Lord is. Live it out. Verse 18, put a star around this, put a circle around it, underline it. We're going to park here and we're going to leave it here tonight because that's all we've got time for. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation but be filled with the Spirit. Now, he is talking about that in the context of wisdom. He's talking about in the context of this putting on this new way of living. Be filled with the Spirit. And remember, he is all about making contrasts in this part of Ephesians. This and this is contrasting. And so he makes a contrast that you and I can relate to, but the culture could really relate to. 
He says, don't be drunk with wine. In that ancient city of Ephesus, there was a temple to Bacchus, who was the god of wine. And while we have seen a lot of um, merriment kind of pictures associated with that when you study, you know, Greek mythology and all that, the way that they worshipped Bacchus and the way they worshipped in every pagan temple was they used alcohol. They used strong drink. They used wine. And the more drunk a person became, the more erratic their behavior became. And that meant they were communing. They were getting closer and closer to communing with that God. Any kind of immorality, orgies, sex with children, homosexual, it didn't matter. If you were intoxicated, then you were moving through this behavior to being closer to God. And he's saying, do not be controlled from some, for something from the outside. Don't be controlled by something from the outside. You're to be controlled by the Holy Spirit on the inside. This is not a passage, this is not a verse that says, don't ever have a glass of wine. We're not even going to go there tonight, okay? It is contrasting control. And if any of you have ever seen or experienced any kind of alcohol abuse, you know that a person can easily be controlled from something on the outside by alcohol. It, it, it does something to your brain. It, it, it blocks off the inhibitions. I know there's a cortex or something in there that it, I don't know at all. But you've seen it. He's saying the alcohol is controlling you, but you're not to be controlled by anything from the outside. You're to be controlled by the inside. And he uses this term, he says, filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, let me, let me just clarify something really quick. That word filled does not mean we are empty and need to be filled back up. Because the Holy Spirit indwells us at the point of salvation. We are sealed. We are indwelled. He does not come and go into our lives. He's there. Now, we can quench the Holy Spirit. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can disobey the Holy Spirit and push him kind of over into a corner of our life while we put back on that old garment and wear it around. But he didn't leave us. And so to be filled with the Spirit doesn't mean we've suddenly become empty and now need to be filled back up. It means that we need to be under control, under his control. Now, I brought something. I'm not real great with uh, props, but here I brought this. This is a Pampered Chef measuring cup that I have never figured out how to use. <laughs> But sometimes when we look at this verse, be filled with the Holy Spirit, we go, okay, here I am, empty vessel, uh, fill me up, and now I live my day, and oh, it gets all poured out. <gasps> I need to be filled up again. So I okay, pour in the Holy Spirit. Mm, yeah, okay, we got that. Oh, I had a rough day. Oh, I need to be filled up again. That's not what it means. That's not what it means. This is the neatest little thing that I have never used. <laughs> Same little vessel. We knock the bottom out of it. Now, if I take this same vessel and I submerge it into rushing water, what happens? The water runs all the way through it. It is no longer being filled and empty, filled and empty. It is a conduit for the water. That's what that means, be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
You're not getting empty, and now i got to be filled back up, empty, filled back up, empty. It is saying, Lord, I want to be a conduit of your spirit. I want to be so under the control of your spirit that you are rushing through me. And you know what rushing water will do to anything? Move it forward. I want to be under your control, going in your direction. That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul's not saying something new here. He's been saying it since that prayer in chapter 3. That Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. That he would be in every nook and cranny. That we would be filled up to the fullness of God. We would be so under God's control. Surrendered. Abandoned to him. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what happens when we're filled? Well, there's results to that. There's, he says, speaking with one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. He's not saying you got to go around singing all the time. And some of us, that's pretty okay. That's good. But he's saying when we're under the control of the Holy Spirit, there is something that just bubbles out of us. It's not Pollyanna, okay, I'm going to be okay. It is, it is a joy, not in circumstances, but in the Lord. And then he says, always giving thanks. Thankfulness is a hallmark of a person who is filled with the Holy Spirit. Thankfulness, but this, this is the alarming thing, verse 20, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Giving thanks for always giving thanks for all things. Well, wait a minute. That doesn't, that, how, how, how am I going to give thanks in grief that my husband was killed in a car accident? And, you know, I've never been thankful for that, but I have been thankful in it. I've been thankful when I see the mercy and the grace of God in my life. I've been thankful to watch the, the good work that he has done in a very difficult home that Alan and I put together, and I see what he's done in it, and I'm so thankful. I'm not jumping up and down thanking God for all the bad stuff. I am humbled and surrendered and thanking him for the way he works in the messes of this world. Thankful in all things. And then look at verse 21. Oh, my goodness and be subject or submissive to one another in the fear of Christ. We're so afraid of being doormats. We're so afraid of someone taking advantage of it, and that's not what submission or subject means. It means two equals who by choice live the way God has designed them to live. Two equals by choice living the way God has designed them to live. You go back to Philippians chapter 2, and you read that Christ himself was submissive. He was submitted to the will of the Father. And we're to submit and surrender, submit to one another. And then for the rest of the chapter and down to verse 10 in chapter 6, he says, now, now go live it. And go live it in the hardest places with the people that know you the best. Husbands and wives, live it. When you, ladies, when you get to verse 22 and you read wives, be subject to your husband, don't have a cow. <laughs> it is not talking about a subordinate and an inferior. It's 
talking about two equals cooperating to live in the design, in the function that God has designed for the home. And let me tell you something. He is only talking to two spirit-filled believers. There's only people that can do this. He says, and he gives us this great marriage design that, I'm going to tell you something, the world will scoff at and they will not understand it. And then he talks about parents and children, spirit-filled homes. And then he talks about, in chapter 6, slaves and masters. Well, there were 6 million slaves in the Roman Empire. Paul's not trying to change the institution of slavery. He is changing one heart at a time with the gospel of Christ. And as one heart at a time is changed, then slaves and masters' relationships are changed. But guess what? We don't have that anymore. So what change that? Employers and employees. Just change it to fit our culture. He says there's a design. There's a biblical design there. Now live in it. You see, all this stuff we've been studying is not theological gymnastics that we just come here to get go wow this guy's so thin that's so interesting but it is for us to live out to walk it out in everyday relationships dependent upon the holy spirit who lives within us responsible for listening and obeying and then letting him live through us you can't he never said you could he can, and said he always would. Next week, we're going to start with verse 10 in chapter 6. And we know this is, oh, the spiritual warfare passage. Everybody's been waiting on this one. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you something. Listen to me. Paul's not giving any new information in that passage. He says, put on the full armor of God. Guess what? The full armor of God is the same as this new garment that he talked about in chapter 4. Same thing. Exact same thing. It's not some additional piece. It is live like he's been telling us to live already. We'll talk about it next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your mercy, your grace. Thank you that you come to us with no condemnation. And Father, if there is conviction that we need to Listen to, give us listening ears to listen and surrendered hearts to obey. Fathers, we leave today, I guess I, I didn't get to cover everything, but we wouldn't think the filling of the Holy Spirit is some big dramatic thing. It's just us saying, we need you, Lord. We abandon the sin in our lives. We abdicate the rule of our own lives and we acknowledge our need for you. We accept it by faith just to walk it out, trusting that you're there, living in us and through us. This Christian life, Lord, is it's everyday life. It's one foot in front of the other. Help us just to live it in the power and the strength of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for joining us today for this Word of Joy podcast. If you would like to know more about the ministry of Word of Joy or you would like to know more about the resources that are available, just take a look at our website at www.wordofjoy.org.